in Midland Park. I was here seven years ago. That was the first time. I never thought I would be back, but I am very glad of the opportunity to be with you this evening. And we trust that God will have a blessing for everyone. Wouldn't it be a shame if you came here tonight and went away just as you had come without receiving the blessing of God and without hearing his voice? So we do trust that the Lord will speak to us, all of us, because we're all needy, we have all different needs, and yet he is able to meet these different needs. He is the omnipotent, omniscient God. So we're looking to him for his blessing as we look at his word this evening. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and chapter 4. <clears throat> Second Corinthians and chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, 
that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now that's all we shall read this evening from the Scriptures of Truth. I think I would be right in saying that all of us today who seek to live for God feel the pressure of the days in which we live. These are difficult days. These are dark days. But when you look at church history, as it were, it's always been difficult. There's always been darkness. And here we are, in this world in which we live, and we are here as ambassadors for Christ. But we all feel the pressure. It's not easy to interest people in the gospel. Sometimes we go for long periods without seeing anyone saved. All of us have known something of that. And sometimes there might be the temptation just to give up. Have you ever felt like giving up when times have been hard, when there's been disappointments and difficulties, and you feel, well, what's the point? You feel like giving up. I want to bring before you uh, this evening that little phrase, faint not. Faint not. Now, in the medical world, You faint when you lack something. If you don't get enough oxygen, we call that hypoxia, you can faint. If you don't have enough sugar in your blood, we call that hypoglycemia, you can faint. You're lacking something that you need, and that's why you faint. But by God's grace, our God supplies everything we need. Otherwise, he would not be God. He is the omnipotent God, all-powerful. He is the omniscient God. He knows our every need, our every weakness. God knows, and he is our God, and he is able. And this chapter is an encouragement to faint not. Particularly in the ministry of the gospel, that would be the subject matter of Second Corinthians. Paul is looking in a general and a broad way, as well as a specific way, about the ministry of the gospel. That wonderful message, thank God for the gospel. Have you ever thought there must have been the first person, the first person, Male or female, you may not know, but there must have been the first person to bring the gospel to Midland Park. There must have been the first. I think of the country from which I come, the country of Ireland, and there must have been the first person 
to cross the seas, perhaps from the British mainland, what we call today Britain, but there must have been the first to bring the gospel to Ireland. And the gospel is the good news of God, the news from heaven for earth, God's news, God's good news for man's extremity, for man's need. We thank God for the gospel. That's why we're here this evening, you know, because someone told us about the Lord Jesus. Maybe from a platform like this, but maybe just personally, maybe in the home, maybe at Sunday school, maybe in the street, maybe at work or college. Someone told us about the Lord Jesus, the good news, that though we are sinners, we can know our sins forgiven. God loved us. Christ died for us. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for those who brought it to us. And you know, in a sense, the whole New Testament is all about the gospel. When you come to the end of the Old Testament, the promised Messiah has not yet come. <clears throat> and this is what you do. You turn the page. And you begin reading in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And you read of the coming of the King. Matthew chapter 1. The coming of the King. And the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, bring before us the glorious subject of the Gospel, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection... He is the glorious subject of the gospel. Without Christ, there's no gospel, you see. And when you would faithfully preach the gospel, you preach Christ and him crucified. So in the gospels, he's the glorious subject of the gospels. Now, the gospels begin with the coming of the king. But when you come to the end of the gospels, it is the command of the king, which was go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So the coming of the king, the command of the king. Did that happen? Yes, it did. How do you know? All you have to do is turn the page, you see, to the book of Acts, and you will find that God's servants, those disciples, those apostles, did exactly as the king had commanded. And so the book of the Acts now shows us the wonderful geographical spread of the gospel, beginning at Jerusalem, the center of Judaism. And by the time you get to the book of the Acts, the gospel has gone from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, even to Europe. I come from Europe. I'm glad that the Apostle Paul heard the Macedonian call, come over to Macedonia and help us. I'm glad he was obedient to the call of God to bring the gospel to my part of the world. And so the wonderful geographical spread of the gospel in the book of the Acts, by the time you get to the end of the book of the Acts, where are you? You're in Rome. You're in Rome. The subject of the gospel in the gospels, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The geographical spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome to the uttermost part of the earth. Now we're at Rome and we have a question. We might ask ourselves, now listen, 
What is this gospel? What is the message of the gospel? And we know the essential elements as the apostles preached. They said, listen, you crucified him, but God raised him. Perhaps we're missing this in our gospel preaching today. They preached Jesus and the resurrection in the book of the Acts. Jesus and the resurrection. We don't often preach the resurrection, perhaps as we should. But you know, that was the gospel that they preached. But is there more to it? Oh, yes, there is. There's a great deal more in the message of the gospel. How do you know? Well, this is what you do. You just turn the page, you see, from the book of the Acts. You just turn the page, and now you're in the epistle to the Romans. And surely that brings before us the the doctrinal scope of the gospel. Sin is the diagnosis. Salvation by faith alone and Christ alone is the cure. And then what's the prognosis? Ah, it's a good prognosis. Those sinners who trust in Christ are sanctified. God changes them. They become holy men and women of God. That's the epistle to the Romans. Do you see how it's progressing now? From the subject of the gospel, the Lord Jesus, the spread of the gospel, the geographical spread of the gospel, and in the epistle to the Romans, then the scope of the gospel, all the things that the gospel touches, and even how it touches our lives, the country where we live, the Christians with whom we associate, and so on. You'll find that in the last chapters of the book of Romans. But then, at the last chapter, in the last chapter of Romans, you start to understand, and also in the book of the Acts, that sometimes the devil is busy and there are problems. The last chapter, Romans 16, speaks of those who would divide Christians. So there can be problems. Even when God works, Even when God blesses, even when God establishes little assemblies of Christians here and there, there can be problems. How do you deal with those problems? You just turn the page and you're in 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul is showing how to deal with division, how to deal with disorder, how to deal with sin. Difficulties in the assembly. All of the epistles were written to help assemblies, Paul's letters particularly, and all of them had problems. There are no perfect assemblies and there are no perfect Christians. And if I thought I was perfect and uh, joined an assembly, no, it wouldn't be perfect because I'm there. You see. Now, all of the epistles are there to help assemblies in the difficulties that they face. And Christ is the answer to every need in every assembly. Your assembly will be different from mine. You will have particular needs at this moment in time. Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer. In Habaroni we have uh, other problems, maybe that you don't have. Christ is the answer. He's always the answer. But in the epistles and the remaining books of the New Testament, we see the success of the gospel. What is the success of the gospel? In the epistles, we learn this, that there are saints upon earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's to saints. There are saints upon earth. That doesn't mean there are people who were sinlessly perfect. 
You and I are saints. We don't become saints. We are saints. By God's grace, we have been set apart for him through faith in Christ. We are his and we are constituted saints. There are saints upon earth. In places like Corinth, all the sin of Corinth. In places like Ephesus with all the idolatry. In places like Colossae with all that intellectualism. There are saints upon earth. That's the success of the gospel. And then when you come to the last book of the New Testament, what do you find? There will be sinners in heaven. That's the success of the gospel. Saints upon earth. Sinners in heaven. Thank God for the gospel. Now, do you see how that progresses through the New Testament? In the first four books, we have the subject of the gospel. In the book of the Acts, we have the spread of the gospel. In the epistle to the Romans, we have the scope of the gospel, how it touches our lives in so many different ways. And finally, in the remaining books, I suggest, it's not the only truth, of course, of the books of the New Testament, but I suggest you can see the success of the gospel. There are saints upon earth, and one day there will be sinners in heaven. Thank God for the gospel. Someone told it to you for the first time. I hope you're telling it to others, and I hope you won't give up. I hope you won't faint. I hope you'll go on and go on and go on. Speaking of Christ, to your family, to your friends. Sometimes that's the hardest. It's easier to speak to the stranger, but sometimes even in our own families it's difficult. But you remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has said to that dear man, that Gadarenean demoniac, as we call him, that man of Gadara, go home and tell. I remember the night I was saved. I was a wee boy of seven. I tell you, I, I never forget that night when all my sins were forgiven. What did I believe? Well, I just believed I am a guilty sinner, but Jesus died for me. And I wanted to tell everybody. I told the preacher. Then I told my father who had taken me to the meeting. I couldn't wait to get home to bang on the door with my fist. Mummy, mummy, I got saved tonight. There was joy in our home. I hope you're enjoying salvation. I hope you're enjoying Christ as your Savior. Your sins are forgiven. You were loved. You were significant to God. You're on your way home to heaven. Heaven for sure. We should be the most joyful, thankful, grateful people upon earth. And these are eternal blessings. And we're safe in Christ. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. I just wanted to tell everybody. That was a Friday night. On Monday morning I marched up to the school teacher. I wasn't her favorite. Never. But I marched up to the front. I said, Miss McEwen, I want to tell you something. I got saved on Friday night. She gave me such a strange look. She had no clue what I was talking about. But I knew I am a guilty sinner. But Jesus died for me. That's it. That's all I have for eternity. And that's all I need. That's all. I was a guilty sinner, but Jesus died for me. So I told Miss McEwen, and she gave me a strange look. 
I think I dropped a few notches in her estimation, but it didn't matter. I was just wanting to tell other people that I was saved, forgiven. Now, that's what we all have to do, all of us. If it's worth having, it's worth sharing. If it's worth having, it's worth telling others about. This is the greatest gift that men and women could receive. And we all have responsibilities, all of us, to spread the gospel. Don't leave it to the gospel preachers you invite every year. Don't leave it to them. They're not big enough for it. Speaking respectfully, we all have a part to play to tell others. Here's the thing. Today you've met people I'll never meet. They're your responsibility, yours. In Botswana, I meet people you will never meet. They're not your responsibility. They are mine. I have to tell them. You have to tell the people here. Your friends, your neighbors. We can talk about politics, and we can talk about the weather, and we can talk about sport. But oh, how reluctant it seems we are sometimes just to tell others about the Lord Jesus spreading the gospel. And this epistle, Second Corinthians, is all about the ministry of the gospel. Paul had to defend his ministry at critics. But I'm wanting to show you this evening that God provides what we need so we don't faint, so we lack nothing, even in the dark and difficult days in which we live. God in this epistle is the God, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. What a lovely title of God, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. In chapter 2, we didn't read chapter 2, verse 14. He's the God who gives the victory. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. In chapter 3, verse 5, he's the God of our sufficiency. Who is sufficient for these things? Our sufficiency is of God. So God provides what we need for his work. He must do. So that we faint not and don't give up. Keep going. Keep reaching out with the gospel. Keep telling others. And so in this chapter, we're going to look at the ministry of the gospel. Please notice then in verse 2, it's not an easy chapter just to read through and understand immediately. I'm still learning from it. I don't understand all of it. But look at chapter 2, and you'll find the nature of the gospel, at least some help to understand, to understand the nature of the gospel. Let's read verse 2 together. Keep your Bible open and I'll read it and we'll just see one or two things now from these lovely verses. Verse 2, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God. That's the gospel. 
It didn't start with you and it didn't start with me. It's not the word of Midland Park or the word of Habaruni Botswana or the word of any man. It's the word of God. It came from heaven. God's good news for man's bad news. Thank God it is his word. Never make excuses for it. Never be ashamed of it. But you tell it out to your friends, your family, your neighbors. It is the word of God. That's where it, the authority comes from. It is the divine word. Please notice also in verse 2, he says, but by manifestation of the truth. So it's not only the word of God, but it's the truth. There's a few new terms I have heard recently, fake news. So what all that means, I suppose, is that they're actually talking about lies. Deceit. Cover-ups. Politics is full of false promises. Cover-ups. Lies. Deceit. This is truth. This is truth. Never be ashamed of God's word. It is truth. As we read down through the next few verses, we discover it is God's light. This world is a dark place. There are many dark hearts. There are many dark things going on in dark places. But this is light, the light of God. God is light. He's the source of all light, whether it be physical light, spiritual light. God is the source of truth and light. That is the nature of the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of God. The nature of it. How is it to be handled, verse 2? It's to be handled humbly, honestly, sincerely, transparently. We don't have any hidden agenda. We invite people to come and hear the gospel that makes man's diagnosis sin, that provides the cure, salvation, and gives that wonderful prognosis of being changed and sanctified. Not just set apart for God, but made holy through faith. That's the nature of it. And that's how it should be handled and we trust that it will touch men's minds, men's hearts, and the conscience. Look at verse 2. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. All men have a conscience. It's the teaching of Romans chapter 1 that can respond to light in some measure. 
Whatever that light is, it may not be the full gospel in some cases, but God reveals himself to all men. That is the teaching of Romans chapter 1. And no man can ever say, I did not receive some light. In creation, the bushman of the Kalahari Desert in Botswana, what must he think when he goes out at night? No light pollution there in the middle of the Kalahari. And he looks up and he sees Orion, sees the moon, sees these glorious constellations. Surely he must say, where does this come from? Who created this? God provides light to mankind. But oh, we thank God for the light of the gospel, that full revelation are not just of God's power, but of God's love, mercy, and grace to mankind. So it touches the conscience, and that is our prayer. How do you spread the gospel? <clears throat> by life. By the way you live. By lip what you say. I've chosen that order. Life first. How you live. There's no point preaching the gospel if you're living in sin. There's no point speaking of love if you're, you're not showing any love. There's no point speaking of reconciliation of God if you're the sort of person that's always falling out with others and not making up. I mean, that's pointless. But this gospel is lived, revealed in love, and preached. You don't have to be a preacher, of course. You can speak to your neighbor, speak to your children, etc. We all have a part to play in spreading the gospel. And so this is the nature of it, the word, truth, and light. Now please notice in verse 3, Keep your Bible open. We see the necessity of the gospel. Because if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. If we hide it, they can be lost. If you cover over the lighthouse in the storm, lives can be lost. If you cover over the guiding lights in the airport, planes can go astray. The light must shine. Because if it doesn't shine, if it's hidden, men and women will be lost. Boys and girls will be lost and lost forever. So this is the necessity of it. There are those who are blind, those who are lost, and the danger is that they could be lost eternally. We look out on a perishing world. Without Christ, there's no hope. But oh, if we were to read chapter 2, verse 15. We are unto God in the work of the gospel and in the spreading of his name and the great work that he has done. We are unto God a sweet savor of Christ 
in them that are saved and in them that perish. That's a lovely little passage that brings to mind the arrival of a great Roman emperor. He's going to have a victory parade in Rome. And in that parade, there will be the captives in their chains. And the soldiers will be marching along very happy that they have won the victory. But then the emperor gives, allows the priests to be there with their censers. And the incense is filling the, filling the streets of Rome. Everyone smells the same smell. But to the victorious soldiers, it's life and victory. And the same smell to the slaves in their chains, it's defeat and death. And that's what he's saying there, in, uh, had we read it in chapter 2 and verse 15. Verse 14, we're unto God a sweet savor of Christ, verse 15, and them that are saved, the smell of life. And them that are lost, it's the smell of death. Have you heard of C.T. Studd? He was a great cricketer who played for England, but he renounced his fortune. He came from a very, very rich, wealthy family. He renounced his fortune and went as a missionary eventually to Africa, and that is where he died. But he had an unusual way of putting things. He said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. He says, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard from hell. I want to be a rescuer of those who are close to going over to perish. Do you believe that souls are going to perish? Oh, I do. I hope you do too. And I hope you understand you have the answer. And so do I in the Christ of the gospel, the crucified Christ who loved sinners and died for them upon the tree. Ezekiel and chapter, I think it's 33, the watchman, he has a responsibility to warn. If the people don't heed his warning, well, he has carried out his responsibility. But if he doesn't warn them, he will be held responsible. He will be guilty of their blood because he didn't warn them. We have all work to do. Hard work, but important work. And we're not to faint. We're to keep at it. We're to keep at it. And so we have the necessity of it in verse 3. Verse 4, we have the enemy of the gospel. In whom the God of this world, who is that? That's the devil. Has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, God manifest in the flesh, should shine unto them. So the devil's busy. You know, the devil, he doesn't sleep. He is a defeated foe, but he's living on borrowed time, and he's busy, busy, busy all over the world. He's not omnipresent, but he has his agents all over the world seeking to blind the mind of men and women, boys and girls, so that they will not see the light of the gospel. He's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's like a serpent in his guile. 
like a snake. He's described as being like a lion in his power. He's like a dragon in his fierceness. And he's busy. He works overtime. He's living on borrowed time. And he's seeking to blind the minds of men and women and boys and girls that they will not believe. And that's why we need the light. He is the enemy of the light. He is darkness itself. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, in the work of the Lord, he says, the devil hindered us, Satan hindered us. He would hinder us too if we would let him. But thank God, I come back to my first little point, God will provide all we need to do his work so that we won't faint, so that we'll lack nothing. We have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. May we be true servants of God. Not give up, not faint, but go on in the work of the gospel. Verse 4 is the subject of the gospel. In whom the God of this world hath blinded. Sorry, verse 5. The God of this world, verse 4, hath blinded the minds. Verse 5. For we preach not ourselves. The gospel preaching is not a personality cult. It's not an exaltation of the speaker. It is a lifting up of Christ and Christ alone. It is a revelation of Christ and Christ alone. Christ himself, not us. And the apostle uses some negatives. But here in verse 5, he says, we preach not ourselves. We don't preach our church, our assembly, or anything like that. Our views on life. We preach Christ. He is the only Savior. Men and women need Christ to know him as Christ Jesus, the Lord the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, and we're just servants, but it's for Jesus' sake, verse 5. The subject of it, Christ himself. The crucified Christ. Sir Robert Anderson writes, you know, the world doesn't mind Christ. The teacher Christ, the example Christ, the healer Christ. Ah, but there's, some, there's always some resistance to the truth of the crucified Christ. But we have to preach Christ and him crucified. In our hall in Habarone, we have a verse up in the front. Runa, rerera Christi. What does that mean? That's Setswana. We preach Christ crucified. He's the only answer. Not us, but Christ. And that's what he's saying then in verse 5. The subject of the gospel. We preach not ourselves. Not trying to appeal to people. But we are his servants to lift him up as the only saviour of sinners. And then we have the value of the gospel. Let's go down just for a moment then to verse 7. Verse 6, we could say it's the wonder of the gospel. 
What is that? For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. Isn't that wonderful? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But verse 7 now, the value of it, it's treasure. It's treasure. That's what it says. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. Oh, there's so much wealth in Christ. You turn to the epistle to, of the, to the Ephesians and you read of the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's no end to Christ and his glories and what he has done and who he is, the glory of his person, the glory of his work. And when you preach the gospel, as we were reading, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Preaching is worship. You preach with a worshipful spirit. Someone says, is preaching, is it worship or service? It's both. It's both. Worship and service. Because worship, the whole idea of priesthood, is of sacrifice. We are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Goes up to heaven. When we preach Christ crucified, God is satisfied. Because the savor ascends him. We are unto God in our gospel preaching with a full heart, with a worshipful heart. Oh, let us try. Sometimes we feel, I know, but let us try to present Christ with a worshipful, thankful, overflowing heart. It's not a lecture of, in theology. It's an appeal with warmth and love and passion. To be unto God a sweet savour of Christ. Oh, the value, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the immeasurable love of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. We really don't have the words, you know. We know that. We struggle, all of us. We're always struggling just to put it as the way we would like to put it. He's too big for that. But we do our best to present in a simple humble, transparent, loving, gracious way and faithful way, Christ and him crucified. It's treasure. But what about the bearers of it? Please notice in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, just a little clay pot. That, we're like the little clay pot that holds the treasure. The little clay pot, it's not very expensive. It's not very precious in itself. It's almost expendable. But we're like a little clay pot. But in that little clay pot, we bear God's divine treasure in the gospel. So there we have the bearers of it. We are bond servants. Verse 5, we are your servants. And then in verse 7, we're just like earthen vessels. We're just like little clay pots. But I like what we read in verse 13. If you could look down at verse 13. Apostle Paul says, we believe, therefore we speak. We're telling you what we know and what we ourselves have believed. We believe, therefore we speak. And we are the bearers of this wonderful message.
Verse 8 would bring before us the challenges of it. There we see grace under pressure. How much the Apostle Paul suffered for the cause of Christ and suffered it willingly. Soon after his, his conversion, he was told by Ananias how many things he was going to suffer. But it didn't deter him and he didn't faint. He just kept on. Because out of love, the love of Christ constrained him, as we read in this letter. The love of Christ constrains me. It hems me in. It leaves me no option. I love him, so I love what he loves. And he loves sinners, and I have to love sinners. And I love to tell them of him who died for them. And so we see the challenges of grace under pressure. He says we are hard-pressed, but not crushed. We're distressed. Yes, we feel the pressure. We don't get under it. But we're not in despair. We're hounded, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We suffer. We gladly suffer. But we're not going to faint. We're going to continue spreading this wonderful message. Now, I won't say any more about the challenges of it. But listen, let me put it to you. If you want an easy, comfortable, smooth kind of life, don't sign up. Do you want to have a nice time? Do you want to relax? You read the book of the Acts, it's, it's full of turmoil. Change and challenges and ups and downs and beat. And you say, I'll leave that for them. Listen, if we're going to take up the cause of Christ, we need to be prepared. We may not suffer that sort of reproach and that sort of persecution, but you will suffer if you're faithful. But if you just want to go home easy, in the comfort zone, just have things as easy, no effort. Oh, my dear brother, my dear sister, perhaps we've all felt like that at times. I want to encourage you to go on and faint not. Finally, the hope of it, the hope that comes from the results of the gospel, it's the hope of resurrection, verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and present us with you. Paul is conscious that he's suffering for the sake of Christ, but it's only for a while. Verse 17, our light affliction is just for a little while, for a moment. But that is an eternal glory, and that's where I'm going. When he came just before his head was chopped off, he says, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have finished the work. I've finished the course. Kept the faith. He was faithful right to the end. He did not faint. He did not give up in the work of the gospel. Even when he was in prison, people were getting saved. Isn't that right? Caesar's household, right in the center of the Roman Empire, there were men of Caesar's household who were hearing the gospel. 
just as in Philippi, the whole prison were hearing them singing the praises of their God, prepared to suffer, not to give up, not to faint. I think I'll close with verse 16. For this is the key thought that I leave with you. Reminding you of your responsibility and mine. Mine's in Botswana, yours is here. For which cause we faint not. We're not going to give up. We're not going to stop. Not going to cease. We're going to try and continue. Well, we can continue by God's grace alone. He provides all that we need to do the work that he has given us to do. May the Lord bless his word this evening to us all, young and old. You're a missionary, and I'm a missionary. We've been sent with a wonderful message of life and light and truth to the lost who are in darkness. Let us not faint. Shall we pray? Father, we do thank thee for the opportunity to consider thy word this evening. And we do feel our weakness, and we do feel the pressure of the days in which we live. People seem so disinterested, so many other attractions, and the devil is so busy. But Father, we believe in the omnipotent, the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. O oh, Father, we pray for the people we know. Help us to shine as lights in the dark place. Help us to be bold, to take opportunities to tell others about the Lord Jesus. We're all responsible to do so. Help us, Father, not to give up, not to faint, but to go on in the work of the gospel. Bless this assembly in all its various needs, in all its efforts with boys and girls and with neighbors and with others. Father, bless them richly. Help them in the work of the gospel that they might honor thee, bringing glory to thy name and being a blessing to others. We thank thee for the Savior. He's the very center of it all. Without him, there would be no gospel. We thank thee we can all say, The Son of God, he loved me, and he gave himself for me. We ask for thy blessing and a safe journey home. In the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow night, God willing, I would like to tell you, I'll open the scriptures for a little while, but I would like to bring you up to date with what we know of God's work in Botswana. If you don't know where Botswana is tonight, I hope you'll find out before tomorrow night. I might just ask you, you know, I might say, if not, I'll tell you, but we'll talk about a little bit about Botswana uh, tomorrow evening, God willing.